How many of you like Christmas morning still? The presents are there. Different families do it in different ways. Some there's a kind of bundle under the tree and it's kind of like paper everywhere. Some it's more methodical, people handing out things. But there's an anticipation and an excitement that something good is going to be there. Something good's under the tree, something I've wanted. And when you become a believer in Jesus, it's like it's Christmas morning and all the good things of the kingdom, in one sense you have access to them. And what we're going to look at this morning is how through renewing the mind and renewing our thinking and being transformed in our thinking enables us to open one gift after another. And it's like as we renew our mind and align our thinking with God's way of thinking and biblical way of thinking, it's like we open another gift and then open another gift. And so I want to just talk this morning about how that happens. Let's look at a verse Romans 12, 2, we're going to look about three verses this morning. And the Bible says this in Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another way of saying that is we get our word metamorphosis from the original word that would have said that in the Greek, which means Totally to be utterly transformed. Metamorphosis, it's a, it's a caterpillar that becomes a larvae, that becomes a butterfly. It's completely, utterly, radically transformed. There, 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 there's no... Um, I don't know if the echo is still on. I wonder if you can... be great, thank you. The, the butterfly bears no resemblance to the caterpillar. It's completely, radically a different creature. Uh, uh, I'm not a Greek scholar and I'm not, not a, uh, an Aramaic Hebrew scholar but people say that the word that was used when it said Jesus was transfigured on the mount you remember that? Jesus takes his friends up the mountain and he reveals to them the glory his glory and that word there transformed or transfigured is the same root word as be transformed I want to tell you that that Christianity is more than a set of do's and don'ts and principles. It's an encounter with a person who will utterly metamorphosize you, who will transfigure you, who will transform you. And he's the God of the transformation. And one of the key means of him transforming us, transfiguring us, changing us, causing us to open the good things of the kingdom is the renewed mind, is the mind that comes in line with biblical revelation. So you might be a person this morning who's, who, who thinks I could never go treasure hunting because it overwhelms me. And we're talking a lot about treasure hunting in, at the moment because it's one of the vehicles that God's given us. It's one of the keys that God's given us. I'm sure he's got a whole bunch of keys that he wants to release to us. One of the keys is treasure hunting. And through the renewed mind, you believe actually the Spirit can give me words of knowledge. He can give me um, destinations and locations. He can give me confidence and authority to heal the sick, prophesy life and transform a whole culture. And that's just one of the means of doing that. And the transformed mind goes from, I'm just reading the Bible, to I'm going to do the Bible. Alright? It's not enough, dear friends, it's not enough, Christian, to 
read the Bible, we've got to do the Bible. Yeah? We've got to do the Bible. We've got to become a people who the words and the phrases and the truths leap off the page so we are compelled to do the very things that the Bible says to do as we encounter the person who transfigures us, metamorphosizes us, and transforms us to become like him, going from glory to glory to glory. That's your calling. To do the things that Jesus did. To love the way that Jesus loved. To have the peace that Jesus enjoyed. To have the joy that he manifests, (coughs) where it says the oil of gladness was beyond his contemporaries and his fellows. It's exciting, isn't it? That there is no other book like it that invites us into the pages to the very same adventures that our heroes and heroines engaged in in the book. How many books do you read where the Spirit of God says, you can do that, you can do that, you can do that, you can be a witness, you can do that, the Spirit can do that in you too. You can love Harry Potter... But you, you're not going to have an owl come to your house, all right? Dropping a letter. It's not going to happen. You won't be enrolled in Hogwarts this September. Enjoy the book, but you're not going to go into the book and do the book. All right? And you can think of whatever book you like, this is the only book that's pages are about a person who so loved the world that we can be ruined by the same love that the men and the women got ruined by. Wow, we can read the Bible, we can do the Bible, we can encounter the person of the Bible. That's the good news of Christianity. It's the great news of Christianity. We can be Peter getting a second chance when we're blown. (laughs) He can come to us and say, Peter, will you feed my sheep? Will you come back to me? We can be the woman breaking the alabaster oil all over him, loving him. We can be that person. We can be like Saul on his way to Damascus, got our lives fixed on one direction. We think we are going to <coughs> serve God in this way. And he comes and breaks in and brings us a whole new destiny. And in order to, 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 to not just read the Bible, but do the Bible, <coughs> in order to be transfigured, to be transformed, to be metamorphosized as we encounter him, the Bible talks about something in 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5 called strongholds. And so... One of the things that um, prevents us entering into the things that God's got for us in the way that he wants are strongholds in the mind. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to unpack a little bit about that because to do the things that Jesus did, to believe like Jesus, (coughs) to, to love like Jesus, requires some destruction, some demolishing, some tearing down. And Paul says, the weapons we fight the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments 
and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. So, strongholds, what are they? Another way of saying a stronghold is saying a castle of the mind. A castle of the mind. It's not that one or two thoughts build a castle. It's not that one or two blocks build a castle. But a pattern of thinking, a way of thinking that goes on for years and years and years and years can build what Paul describes here as a stronghold, a castle of the mind, a place where we can find ourselves oppressed and limited and taken captive. And so Paul is saying we have divine power, I believe that's word and spirit, that's that's the sword of the spirit to demolish strongholds and demolish arguments and every (coughs) pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So a stronghold then is a castle in the mind, it's a way of seeing reality, it's a way of imagining the future, it can be a way of how you see God, it can be a way of how you see yourself, it can be a way of how you see your circumstances, it can be how you view the future, it can be how you believe other people view you, it can be a castle that dictates the way you react in new and different circumstances when you meet different people. It can limit you from taking risk. It can limit you and stop you from generosity. It can hold you back from going deep into relationships and trusting people. A castle of the mind is a place of oppression. And Paul is saying in this whole thing of be transformed by the renewing of your mind, there are castles, there are strongholds, there are patterns of thinking that the sword of the spirit, the word of God needs to come to and demolish in order for us to not just read the Bible but do the Bible. And so strongholds can be this, it can be a stronghold of rejection. You you walk into a room and your immediate thought is, I'm the least educated person in this room or no one would want to know me, I'm not very interesting, people wouldn't want to be my friend, I'm going to back off, I'm going to pull away. It causes us to maybe read body language or looks or a person not saying hello and feeling that's rejection. It's a stronghold in the mind, it's a castle in the mind, it's a place of limitation where the enemy is oppressing. It can be shame, that sense of not just I got something wrong, but I am wrong. (laughs) That everything I do is wrong. I'm covered in the failure of something I think I should have done but didn't do, or a way of seeing something that happened, and it can leave a person feeling less than and shamed. And often in communities, someone who gets something wrong or something wrong happens to them can feel they're shamed by their family. That's a stronghold in the mind, makes someone feel less than. It can be guilt, something that the enemy comes and accuses you of every time you feel a spark of joy. How can you rejoice when you know who you are? How dare you sing about the blood when we all know who you really are? And it's a stronghold, it's a place he's working out of to accuse, to blame. It can be fear, the terror of getting it wrong. What 
stops us most from taking risk in the kingdom of God is fear. Fear that what will happen if nothing happens? <laughs> what will happen if I step out and pray and they're not healed? I better not risk anything because what if nothing happens? It's fear. God's big enough to back himself up. He really doesn't need us to back him up. He just needs us to be fearless and let his perfect love cast doubt or fear. It can be unbelief. Just that sense of, well, I'm not believing for anything because I'm not going to be disappointed. I'm not going to do anything new because I'm never going to be disappointed. It can be hopelessness. And so these castles are in our mind and they're places of of oppression. And so you can be free, had one quote saying, you can be free in 900 areas of your life. But if you've just got one stronghold, one castle in the mind, it's enough to stop you doing the Bible. It's enough to have a place of influence. In other words, when we become Christians, we, we are transferred from one kingdom to another kingdom. And that happens instantly. Colossians talks about us being in the kingdom of darkness. And then in a moment, in a revelation of Jesus, given by the Holy Spirit, the gift of faith, a gift of God, not by works, but by faith. And faith is a gift so that no one can boast. We move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. In a moment, you become spotless, holy, blameless, without blemish. That's who you are in a moment. But sometimes what can happen is, you, that's, that's reality, that's spiritual reality. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. You're in the beloved. You are spotless. But sometimes you can have memories of things that you did that you regret, or things that you said that you wished you'd never said, or things that you wished you'd done and you didn't do. And even though we move from one kingdom to another kingdom, our mind needs to be transformed in a process of demolishing some strongholds so that oppression can be broken. Do you, let's this, this, talk practically, do you know that you cannot change your heart? Whole Old Testament was a gigantic, glorious illustration that men and women cannot change their own heart by keeping a list and a set of rules. That's the whole of the Old Testament. Here, here's my heart, God says, and you can't do it. You can't change your heart. You can't give yourself a new heart. You can't do the Jeremiah promise of, here's your stony heart, and here's your heart of flesh, now you go and do it. You can't do it. How many of you know that God won't change your mind? You can't change your heart, and God's not going to change your mind. He's not going to come and demolish and renew your mind for you. He, he's not going to do that for you. It's something we do. He loves us absolutely unconditionally. But when was the last time you woke up in the morning 
And the Bible was going around the room like this, chasing you. You went to breakfast. Read it. Read it. Read how, how many has that happened to? If it's ever happened in your house, we need to come and pray. All right? Or you've got some good special effects going on. God won't, God's not going to do it for you. It's not by, you can't have it by coming forward to pray for you. We can't renew your mind. We can, we can break off power. And, and sometimes there can be moments where his power comes and, dem- and takes away the oppression in a stronghold that allows us to renew our mind. But you can't, you can't renew the mind through someone praying for me. You can't come to a mature believer and say, will you renew my mind for me? Will you, will you pray for me so that I can have a renewed mind? But God says, if you change your thoughts, I'll change your heart. You can't change your heart. Uh, God says, I'm not going to change your mind for you. But if you change your mind and your thinking, I'll do a supernatural work through the transformed mind and I'll transfigure your heart for you. And like I said, the transition from darkness to light, stony heart to heart of flesh, happens in the new birth in an instant. But we access the realities of that through the renewed mind. It's like there's a river flowing, and the river is called faith and grace and mercy, and the banks of the river are the renewed mind. And the renewed mind gives us access to supernatural resources. Gives us access to a context where faith gets ignited in our hearts. So, as we're reading this book that we've agreed is a supernatural book, it's God-breathed. It's a miracle of God. We heard last week. Different authors, different styles, different voices to different audiences, but inspired by the breath of God. So as we're picking this book up, as we read it, the Spirit comes alongside. And we must read it with the Holy Spirit. Because what we're looking for as we're picking up this book is not merely to find some principles to live by, so that we double our efforts and try really hard with a new set of principles, we're looking to encounter a person who engages with us and changes us. There's a dynamic happening here of word and spirit. So as we pick it up, he will speak. As we come to it with expectation, he will speak. And there'll be moments where We're reading and he speaks. And it's like the veil on our eyes comes down. And we realise maybe it's a lie we believed. Maybe it's a wound. We read it and we've always felt abandoned and alone. And we read it and he says, I'll I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And it's like he's spoken, because he has spoken, because it was his word, inspired. So it comes afresh to us, I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. 
I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. Don't, don't be anxious about anything. But with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, offer your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It becomes a personal word. Oh, I'm an anxious person, aren't I? Core, I'm a worry guts. Most of my prayer is worry, isn't it, Jesus? Yeah. A lot of it's praying and worrying out loud. And I'm saying, don't be anxious about anything. It comes a, it comes a word to our souls. The veil gets lifted. Truth reveals who he is and who we are. We're reading, these are the signs that will follow those who believe. They heal the sick. They raise the dead. They cleanse the leper. They'll open blind eyes. The deaf is going to hear. Jesus, these signs aren't following me. <laughs> oh, you there's a stronghold of unbelief. Let's go to work on that together. It reveals to us. It lifts the veil on how we've fought all along. We've missed the point if we think Jesus is just interested in that we read three chapters. The satisfaction of the Father towards you has nothing to do with whether you read three chapters or not. It was at the cross where the wrath of God was satisfied and Jesus said, it's finished. This is a letter from God to us. It shows how broken and lost humanity really is and how wonderful the Saviour is and how he so loved you that he sent Jesus so that none would perish. And as we read it, come with an expectation he's going to want to speak to you. Listen, there's no convenient time to renew your mind, okay? If, you're, if the Bible comes to you because you're an anxious person, it's no point waiting for the time when there's no anxiety to renew your mind. Because it's not going to come. Because if you're a worry gut, you'll make something up. And even if nothing is happening, you'll anticipate that something bad is going to come that's going to undo all the good things you're enjoying right now. There is no convenient time to stop worrying. There's no convenient time to be anxious for nothing. And so when the Bible comes to us and we hear his voice and a personal word comes to us, we in that moment have to make a decision. Am I yielding to you as God? Am I going to bow the knee to you on this issue that the scriptures have just woken me up to? Or am I going to harden my heart, like Hebrews 4 says, like they did in the desert, and refuse to listen? Repentance means this. Repentance is more than crying, it's more than sorrow, 
It's more than beating yourself up, which quite frankly does not renew the mind. It just builds another stronghold of perfectionism, comparison and guilt. So that's not a good one. Repentance is change your mind. That's what the original Greek word there means. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which actually is not the Greek word, it's uh, the word renewed there, is about changing your mind, changing the way you think. Come into line with God. Make adjustments in every area that you need to, to come in line with him. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To be a disciple is one who's following Jesus. So when he in love and mercy speaks, our response to him is, the king has spoken, I am coming in line with your revelation. I am coming in line with how you think. I'm coming in line with what's important to you. I'm coming in line with you because this is really important to you and you are really important to me, God. I'm making adjustments. I'm making adjustments. In 2 Corinthians it says, take every thought captive. So, we begin to ask the question, if you're tearing down a stronghold of rejection, and you walk into a room and feel rejection, you have to bring that thought to account. You have to bring the thought to trial. And have to say, is this thought true? That I'm an, I am a rejected person and everywhere I go people reject me and don't like me. Thought, give an account of yourself. Um, the thought might say, but that was your experience, wasn't it? Um, you remember at school, you remember the, your friends who rejected you. More evidence. Remember mum and dad, what they said. Remember a husband or wife and what they said. And then you bring, the prosecution says, but there's a higher court. What does heaven say about me? I'm accepted in the beloved. He'll never leave me or forsake me. I'm a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I'm not going to judge my future by my past experience. I am now an accepted person in God. Thought, I find you guilty of lying and I find you guilty of deceit. I will not listen to you. I take it captive. We can ask ourselves the question, if I really believe this truth, what would my life really look like? If I really believed it, I really believed it, I can be transformed by the renewing of my mind. It means those debilitating things like rejection and shame and guilt and fear and unbelief and hopelessness that has oppressed me. If I really believed who you are and what you've said about me, I would find hope and joy and peace and risk and faith would be the natural fruit of my life. See, it's not to condemn us, I say that, But it's a good thing to ask. If I really believed, I wouldn't be like I am. 
I would have peace that transcends all understanding. The God of peace would be guarding my heart. So I must be in some form of unbelief. It's a glory moment. It's a wonderful moment when you realise the truth. The worst moment is that you think this isn't working. And you think, I'm I'm praying, I'm reading the Bible, I'm doing all of this, I'm going to church and I'm still the same. That's an awful moment. But a glory moment is, do you know what the real problem is? What? You don't really believe. Phew. There's hope for that, isn't there? Yeah, because you can demolish strongholds, can't you? And you can take every thought captive, can't you? And you can make it obedient to Christ, can't you? And you can demolish pretensions and everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, can't you? And you can be metamorphosized and transformed by the renewing of your mind, can't you? Now that's hope, isn't it? But it starts with a proper diagnosis. You don't really believe, do you, on that issue? That's why you're so full of guilt, because what you really believe is it's your activity and your effort and your straining that makes you righteous. That's why you're so yo-yoing between hope and condemnation. It's not the problem with the cross, it's the problem you've not accessed the reality of what the cross has done. So you need to come in line with it and submit to it. There are wonderful moments when we face our Goliath. There are wonderful moments when we see it for what it really is. That's the stronghold that has dogged me all my life. Now I see you, I'm getting you. Now it's become clear, the veil has been lifted, and how I thought all along is now clear to me, this is a wonderful moment. Because now your head is coming off, Goliath, with your own sword. Because I thought that my melancholy, my hopelessness, my lack of peace and my anxiety was my lot. Now I know that it's a place of oppression which in Christ can be demolished. Now I've got hope. And now I'm going to get the sword of the Spirit and I'm going to go after you. And your head's coming off. I'm changing in that area. All in relationship with God. So we wield the sword and we say... I'm breaking agreement with that lie that I've believed all my life. I'm breaking agreement with it, and I'm going to speak the truth of the gospel over my life. Not that this is some kind of, if I can just pie in the sky, and they say it enough, it might become true. Paul says in Romans 6, reckon yourself dead to sin. Put it in the right column, it's an accounting term. Reckon yourself. It's not thinking it to make it true, it is true, so think it. That's the sword of the Spirit. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down, there's rest for me. When I go through the darkest paths, his rod and staff, they comfort me. He makes a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Goodness and mercy, they're following me all the days of my life. Surely they're going to overtake me at one point and catch me up. And so you renew your mind. You say, the future's not getting bleaker and bleaker and bleaker and bleaker. No, goodness and mercy are following me. Like a police car pursuing a a prisoner. They're coming after me to do me good. You renew your mind with it. You come in line with it. You speak the truth over yourself. You make declarations about his goodness. 
It's a renewed mind that gets you out onto the streets and thinking one day, one day in Plumstead, somebody is getting out of a wheelchair in the high street. Somebody, one day. One day, a blind eye is opening out there. One day, a deaf ear is opening out there. One day, someone here is going to raise the dead. It's going to happen. And so the renewed mind accesses it. The renewed mind begins to imagine with God. That's what our imaginations were for. Not to think about the future and think how bleak it's going to be, but to imagine with God what's possible with the kingdom. To employ our imagination. If you can worry, you can imagine with God. Because worry is just worrying about the future without God. 15% of what you worry about might happen. 85% never happens. Of the 15 that does, you find extraordinary resources in God to cope. Wield the sword. The renewed mind changes our outlook. Changes the way we see ourselves. The way we see God. The way we see our circumstances. The way we see our future. It changes our emotions so that where before we might have thought that melancholy, you know, that sort of hopeless. So I, 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 when I do online tests, I come out with melancholic, kind of, it's more of a negative way of seeing the world. I come out 90% that on any test you put me through. And I once said to someone, I refuse, I refuse to say that's just my personality, that's what I've got to live with. Because I do believe he's the God of all hope. And as he pours his Holy Spirit in, there should be a there should be his personality rubbing off on me. There should be more joy. There should be more hope. There should be. And so I'm glad when I laugh out loud for the first time at Britain's Got Talent. I say, God, you're doing a good work in me. Something's happening. When David and and, and Simon had their little fight last week about putting their hand up and he's pulling his hand down. I'm laughing out loud. No, I'm not saying, God, that's a supernatural work of the Spirit. God's doing something. God's changing me. It changes our emotions. And listen, it changes our availability for the things of the kingdom. For the things of the kingdom. It changes our availability. It changes our hearts. Ask us to stand. We're going we're gonna to break bread in a moment. to God when you just know, you look at your life, you think, I've gone round this mountain, I don't know how many times. Come to God and ask him, am I believing a lie? Have I been wounded? Is there something I need to get truth in? Is there something I need your grace to minister? You don't have to go through it round the mountain, round the mountain, round the mountain. You can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You might think, oh, only the courageous go out and do things on the street. I'm not very courageous. We'll we'll come and find out who we really are and how timid we really are and how amazed we are when we come come back. We are finding the Spirit doing amazing things in us as we step out. Yeah, Jesus, I want to thank you for the Gospel. I want to thank you that the Gospel is this wonderful invitation to know you. That Jesus... You come to us by the Spirit. And we want to thank you for the gift of the Bible. We want to thank you for the moments the Bible reveals who you are, for the way the Bible reveals who we are. 
for the way the Bible reveals what Jesus has done through his life, death and resurrection. We thank you for how the Bible brings us hope and brings us joy and brings us hope. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for those wonderful interaction moments with you, reading it with the Spirit, reading it with you, seeing you open the eyes of our heart to the hope that we've got. And I just pray for each of us here, Jesus, that meetings with you, encounters with you, moments with you. I pray this week that, God, we would even come face to face with our own Goliaths in our thinking and that Jesus, not through working really hard or gritting our teeth, but just through aligning ourselves with you by saying, this Goliath, you're losing your head because it contradicts the truth of what God says. It contradicts the truth of who God says I am. It contradicts the truth of who God says I am in Jesus. It contradicts the finished work of the cross And so on the authority of scripture, we want to grab our swords of the spirit and be offensive and lop off some Goliaths. And I thank you, Jesus, that some of them go really quickly and some of them just take a little bit of time. But in the end, their heads do drop and uh, it does change and it does change and and he is is good in it. So we just pray for that whole thing of perseverance, God, of, of, of a willingness to come under your authority when you speak. To not squirm under you and say, I'm hardening my heart. But to say, actually, when we hear your voice, today, when we hear your voice, don't be like they were in the desert when they hardened their heart, but enter into his rest. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to break bread. and um, It's just a wonderful thing that Jesus said to do. He said, do this in remembrance. Do this in remembrance of what I have achieved for you on the cross. What my blood has done. The blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience in a way that nothing else ever could. It totally gives us a clean heart. His body was bruised for us. He took the punishment that we deserve for the fact that we had gone astray and fallen short of his glory. Celebrate what he's done. Celebrate the finished work of Jesus. Celebrate what's possible through, through the finished work. That this, this, the provision for healing, the provision for breakthrough. So as we, there's a station here at the front, there's one here at the front, there's one I believe right at the back. Grab someone, pray for them, ask them what they need. Believe that, to, to pray for, for breakthroughs and, and for, for sicknesses, to bow their knee to Jesus as we break bread. And pray for refreshing, pray for the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings the Bible alive in radical ways. Pray for one another for fresh touches of the Holy Spirit that this week you'll hear his voice. This week you'll lift up the veil. This week you won't just read the Bible but you'll do the Bible. Pray for one another for that. All these wonderful things are possible because of Jesus. It says that in Acts. When the Spirit, when Jesus was ascended, he then poured out the gift, the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit. So pray for one another. Yeah, there's some bread, some pieces of bread. Just dip it in the bowl and pray for one another. That would be great. Okay, we have some music on and we'll mill around, grab people you maybe don't know and just pray for them.